Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. As always, I'm Grace. Um, actually, quite a bit happened this week, not just talking about the World Series, but we'll get into, um, there's a lot of, not a lot, but but two significant stories that I want to get to in the second act. But let's open with um, the playoffs. The World Series just happened. Well, it just started happening. Um, we're two games in as of today. October 30th, I'm recording this at 5.22 at night, which means by the time this comes out, um, two or three more games will have happened. Um, today is game three at about, I believe, 8.03. I believe every game in the series starts at 8.03. Um, they're back in Arizona. So they started the first few games in Texas. Um, game one, Texas Rangers won 6-5. to five. It was a um, thrilling game that I was not able to see a second of, but, um, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. 11 innings in the first game, which I think sort of belies the fact that these are two very evenly matched teams, really. Um, I don't think that there's any sort of doubt in my mind, at least, that this is going to be a very even-handed World Series. This isn't a, one team has a ton of, uh, advantage over the other, but, I, I think I think this is going to be a, a fun, even Stevens World Series. Um, Nate Uvaldi started for the Rangers. Didn't have his best stuff. He went four and two thirds innings, six hits, five earned runs, one walk, and eight strikeouts. So he he did have great command, but it just wasn't going super well for him. Um, and Zach Gallen pitched for the Diamondbacks. He was better in terms of length and runs, but worse in terms of um, con- command, five innings pitched, four hits, three earned runs, four walks, five strikeouts. Um, yeah, I mean, Zach Allen, this is his first time on this stage, you know, and and sometimes the lights get a little bright if you listen to Top of the Key. We talked about this in relation to the New York Liberty. When it's your first time there, the lights can be a little bright. And... Not saying that that's what happened to Zach Allen, but I wouldn't blame him if that did happen. Is the guy who is a Cy Young candidate, uh, maybe not number one or number two, but he's up there, and to have this immense pressure riding on you as Game One starter Zach Allen, you know the fact that it was only three earned runs. I mean, he put his team in an incredible position to win, even without having his best stuff. Um, you know, when he left the game. They were winning. Diamondbacks were winning. I mean, until the bottom of the ninth, the Diamondbacks were winning. And then, you know, Corey Seager came up and Paul Seawald, what did um, Big Poppy said it? He said that, you know, you made sort of tough pitches to the guy before him and then you serve up a cookie to the cookie monster. It was a middle up, you know, up in the zone, but, but middle fastball, I believe, fastball. And, um, Corey Seager hit it, and as soon as he hit it, he knew it was gone. And it was a runner on base. As soon as he hit it, he knew it was gone. There's that great picture of him swinging it right through the swing and him yelling. And Corey Seager, I mean, I, I, I've i liked Corey Seager for a while. He, he's a very reserved player. He's not someone who's going to get too high or too low. And you need players like that. But the fact that he reacted like that um, tells you everything. You know, and then and then... Adalas Garcia hit the game winner off of Miguel Castro in the 11th inning. 
Um, it's great to see the former Mets just draping themselves in glory. Um, but yeah, they 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 won game one, and then in relation to uh, <laughs> Garcia, Ben Verlander said the stupidest thing you could ever imagine on the uh, post game. I believe I'm paraphrasing here, but it was you know there's some poetry in the fact that Garcia, a Cuban defecty, hit a home run off Castro. Dude, shut the fuck up. Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then, game two. A little less even-handed. Diamondbacks sort of won in a blowout. Um, The Jordan Montgomery was their starter for game two for the Rangers. And he went six innings pitched, gave up nine hits, four earned runs. And I think the biggest sign of the difficulties for him was that he had one walk and no strikeouts. They were making contact on everything. I think I saw it like he was getting almost no swing and miss on anything. Like if the if the Rangers were swinging, they were connecting, uh, even if it was just a foul. Um, but I think the bigger issue is that the Rangers over nine innings got four hits. Like that's it, four hits. I mean, Merrill Kelly had sort of a career moment: seven innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, nine strikeouts, and no walks. I mean, that is phenomenal. It just, it, you know, the the Diamondbacks had a great game. And Tommy Pham went four for four. He could have went five for five, but he just told his, he told uh, Tori Lavolo to let Jace Peterson hit for him uh, the fifth time he came up so that he could get a World Series at bat, which I think is very nice. Um, and, you know, Carroll, Corbin Carroll went two for five, two RBI. And for me, the most exciting part, I, I worked Saturday night, so I didn't get to see most of the game, but I came home for like the last two innings. I was home. and. Patel Marte broke the all-time record for consecutive games with a hit in the postseason, 18. Um, and that's not just, oh, because the record was, like, that he was sort of going with was the to start a postseason. That's just in a row in any player's postseason career ever, right? He beat people like Manny Ramirez and Derek Jeter. So, really impressive game. Um, but I think what this really shows is, and, I, I you know, game one, Really close game two, a blowout. I'm not going to make a prediction because I feel like every time I make a prediction here, anywhere in my life, um, it goes wrong. I have incredible luck, but like terrible predictive skills. Um, So I'm not going to make a prediction, but this feels like a series that could go seven games. Um, You know, it, it feels like something where they're more evenly matched than their records would indicate um, because, you know, the Diamondbacks are had an 84 and 78 record in the regular season. I think that would belie the, the thought that, oh, well, they're actually not that good. Um, but I, I hate that. I hate that mentality, you know? Oh, well, they actually didn't win that many games, so how, how good could they really be? I mean, you know, it's not going to be... In, in the history of the World Series, I mean, for me at least, the one I think about a lot is um, the the Mets in, what year is it, 1973, when they, they went, oh man, it was like 82 and 80 or something like that. I'm trying to see, like I want maybe baseball a look, because I know that was like it, it was like that and i think that the idea of how a team does i think we need to separate the thought process for us about here we go 
um, a team's regular season record and their um, and their postseason record. Because in reality, the postseason is entirely different from the regular season. You know, like it's not. It's two different seasons. You play really, you you play your best in the regular season to get to the postseason. But once you're in the postseason, anything can happen. I mean, hell, I'm going through. You know, I'm in like the 40s and 50s or whatever. I'm trying to find something close to. This is really cool. The um, baseball reference has the Negro League series in here as well. I think that's great. Um. I mean, the Dodgers in 59 were 88 and 68. That's not a, that's not great. You know, that's not the world's... Because, you know, you're going through and you get your 100, 102, 108, everything like that. Um, the, the Tigers in, in 72 in the ALCS had an 86 and 70 record. You know, that's... They were freaking two games away. The Mets... We're in the World Series with an 82 and 79 record in 1973. A lot of like 90 and 72, and and I, just I think it takes something away to say, well, they're not that good because in reality they are. You know, like in reality they have to be good enough to make it to the World Series, and it just it takes you getting hot at the right time to make it. You know, the the Twins. In the 87 World Series, they won with an 85 and 77 record. They beat the Cardinals, who had a 95 and 67 record. I think it's. I think we're focusing on the wrong things if we make this about how many wins the Diamondbacks have. And I know that people want to do that because it outrage and anger gets more clicks and gets more views than than you know, sort of a neutral even positive outlook. And I don't think everyone has to be positive all the time, but I do think that it sort of belies the sport in and of itself to say that I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Cause that sentence made no sense. Um, I think it sort of takes away from the sport to say that the Diamondbacks aren't worthy of being there. When I was growing up um, and I tweeted about this a few days ago, um, something my dad always used to say to me was the, the, like the great thing about baseball is that anything can happen, right? Like that's the that's the great thing. It's like anything can happen. There's no time limit. There's no nothing. Like you could be down five runs in the bottom of the ninth, have two outs. You could still come back and win it. There's no time limit on you. So anything can happen extends to this. Anything can happen. Before before the postseason started, I think everyone was sort of looking at. Oh, the Orioles making it to the World Series of the Astros and the Dodgers or the Braves. And none of that happened because it's anything that happened here, you know? And that's that's what's fun. And I think either one of these two teams winning, whether it be the Rangers or the Diamondbacks, is a fun choice. I, like, I, I, there's also been that sort of idea that, oh, well, Major League Baseball is not going to like this one because the the this isn't, you know... They're totally missing out on the Northeast and and the you know West Coast and everything like that. No, what's fun about this is that it's two teams that you never see in there. The Rangers haven't been to the World Series since what 2011. The Diamondbacks haven't been there since 2001, and the Rangers have never won a World Series before. And the Diamondbacks the last time they won was 2001. This is fun. Wh- whoever wins, it's going to be a good winner. It's going to be fun. 
you know, I, I still, I almost can't believe that this is the World Series we got. Because it felt like the Phillies were going to get there. It felt like the Astros were going to get there. And then the Diamondbacks and the Rangers proved that anything can happen, and they clawed their way back. And that's incredible. They both clawed their way back on the road, too, which, like, like Chris Maddog Russo Vitarovich, like, th- this is this is what's fun, and no one saw it coming. So the idea of being mad about one of these winners or being mad about the, the matchup here, I think, comes from honestly bitter fans of teams that didn't make it like that's what it reads like reads like sour grapes like well you know this is actually isn't that good because like if you're a fan of the sport this is great you know i'm personally am rooting for the rangers just because i always like to see a team get there first you know just like a no hitter you know you know you're always rooting for the team to get the first there first so i'm rooting for the for the rangers to get there first especially they've been around since the 60s they've never won one hell yeah Get them there first. Get Jacob DeGrom a ring. I don't see a problem with this. Corey Seager's great. Adolis Garcia's having, like, the postseason of a lifetime. It's fun. This is fun baseball. And even if the Diamondbacks win, cool. Cattell Marte has a ring. Corbin Carroll wins a ring in his first year. That's the other cool thing here. Either Josh Young, Josh Young, Josh Young, Josh Young, I believe, or Corbin Carroll win a ring in their first year. That's the that's that's what happens now. Two young upcoming stars, it looks like, win a championship in their first year. Evan Carter came up right at the end of the season. He could win a championship after being in the majors for like a month. That's fun. And I think complaining about the scenario that we have, all it does is make you look like a, an idiot, really. Like this is this is fun. This is what baseball is all about. I you're right. MLB probably wants the Yankees and Dodgers every year because it's going to get the most eyes on it. But like, as a baseball fan, this is the kind of I can't have the Mets be in the World Series. This is the kind of World Series I want. I don't want a boring ho hum, same three teams every year. You know, I want this. This is what I love about baseball. It's you know, it's harder to have like a dynasty in baseball. It, and that's what makes it so fun is to root for. The team that doesn't always make it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm thrilled by this World Series. I can't wait to see how it plays out. I'm gonna be watching tonight at 8:03. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we will discuss um, a little bit of news, some of which we've talked about before, some of which is breaking. I so we'll we'll get into that. All right, and we're back. Um, so first, I want to cover something that broke. That we talked about last week. Um, hold on, I'm gonna take a sip break. Um, last week or two weeks ago, we discussed the um, NHL ban on Pride tape um, and how ridiculous it was. So we were, it kind of felt inevitable that we were gonna get a challenge to this. Although some of the players who came out and spoke up about against the ban at first, sort of were like, "Well, what are you gonna do?" Um, and one person didn't take that as a as an um, answer. He did not let himself say, well, what are you going to do? He said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in the first game, defy this ban. So in the first game, Travis Dermott um, of the Coyotes, I believe, and I want to get this right. I wrote literally everything else down about the story that I could think of other than this. Uh, yes, of the Arizona Coyotes wore pride tape on his stick. First game. <laughs> 72 hours later, the NHL has walked it back. Uh, the, the ban. Um, 
what's funny about this is like the actual rule in the book that they were like, well, we're going to ban this tape. Like the rule in the book is like, you can use whatever tape you want, like whatever color tape you want. There's no, <laughs> so like what they had no leg to stand on. And it's incredible to me that Dermot did this, right? Like if, if these bigger name players weren't willing to do it, that he was, you know, it didn't backfire on him. It very quickly turned him into a hero, but if it had backfired on him, it, it really, it could have been bad for him. I mean, he's not a star player. When I saw that he was the one who did it, I went, I don't know who that is because I don't really watch NHL. And I know like the big name players, but I don't know him. Um, he's not like a star player. He He's literally on a two-way minimum deal with the Coyotes. I think he had some sort of really bad injury last year that kept him from playing a ton. So he had to like take what he could get in terms of a contract. So he could have been really fucked over by any sort of punishment. You know, he doesn't carry a ton of cachet in the game. It's not like he's Sidney Crosby or someone with a big name and a lot of sway. This is just a guy. And he said that he had to do it and he was going to deal with whatever happened. Um, an actual quote I had in front of me was, this got laid out in front of me. And with the amount that I care about the LGBTQIA plus community and the amount of ties that I had before doing this, and now the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork saying that this affected them in a way I didn't even think was possible, it lets you know it was probably the right move. This is a guy who literally was like, I have family. I want to show them that this is the right thing to do. My parents taught me the right thing to do. And this is what I believe is the right thing to do. And that's it. And I think that it's incredible. And I think it shows that NHL obviously has a long way to go in terms of um, being inclusive um, because they, they sort of were making those strides with the pride tape and with the, the pride jerseys and the warm-ups and the practices and everything like that. And then they started walking it back because seven people complained, literally seven people. Um, they have a long way to go. But the thing is, is that you can, as a person, enact change even if you don't have a ton of power, right? And it's easier for, for Dermot to do this than it would be for you and I to do it because he, you know, is doing this on TV and he has the media there and he can, you know, he's he does, even though he's not a huge name in the thing, he is a name, you know, like he is an NHL professional hockey player. Um, But the fact that while the league can say, oh, we're not going to do this, the player can the players can then buck that and sort of force the league's hand, you know. And it makes me think of a lot of like, you know, the Rangers are in the World Series right now. Like I said, I'd love to see the Rangers get their first World Series. The Rangers are also the only team in the in in Major League Baseball to not have a Pride Night. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? And and there was an article in the Athletic, um that went into this, they, they published it over the summer, that basically it was like, the this is the owner. Like, the owner doesn't want a Pride Night. And I think that there are ways for players to be able to, if they should so choose, um, get around that. You know, not every league is going to be the NWSL or the WNBA in terms of um, being on the forefront of issues like this, but... The players themselves can choose to do this. I mean, Chris Taylor chose to, and then the Dodgers obviously are a different case, but like Chris Taylor chose chose to, in the midst of all the craziness with their Dodgers Pride Night and everything like that, go out and support 
the community and and do I believe a charity fundraiser if I'm remembering correctly. And obviously Mark Hanna talks a lot about it, and we've seen sort of the the change in the way the Mets have done it over the last few years. But it, there's an the teams can do a lot, you know, obviously, but there's also some onus on the players to sort of make their voices heard. You know, you even if you're not the world's biggest star player, you still have a voice. And I think that Dermot shows this, and I and I hope to see um, more NHL players and also just more professional athletes, men's professional athletes, stand up for this. Okay, so that was like a good bit of news. And now a um, not-so-good news, a good bit of news. Um, this is really, this is a really tricky, tough story. Um, Dwight Howard, notable basketball players with the Lakers a few years ago. He's been an all-star, I believe. Um, again, I don't follow men's basketball as much as I do women's basketball. Um, but yeah, so he's a, he, he won, uh, the championship with the Lakers in 2020 in the bubble. Uh, eight-time All-Star, five-time first team. He's been on the second team. He's been on the third team. He's won Defensive Player of the Year. You know, the, a, a great player, we'll say. Um, Very notable, high-profile player is probably the more important piece of the story. Has been accused of sexual assault by a Georgia man. Um, he's being sued for assault and battery, false imprisonment, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, Howard has said that this encounter was consensual, uh, so he's fighting it, and um, that's going to play out in time. I'm sure we'll get more details on that. Um, but this is this is obviously a horrific story. We talk about a lot of domestic violence and rape stuff in terms of um, men's sports, but in relation to the treatment of women. Um, and this has an added layer to it that has sort of made everyone forget how to act. Um, because this, I, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. It doesn't come off as like callous or uncaring, but like this is, th if this was not, an assault, we would never know that Dwight Howard is gay, given the fact that he grew up very religious, he talked about being very religious, and he hadn't come out yet, so I don't think he was planning on it. But this would have forced him to come out. Um, and the reaction has been, uh, online has been t terrible, um, because you have a lot of people doing, really they do this with, with any sort of, domestic violence, but, you know, making jokes and stuff like that, but it got worse in this scenario because now it's homophobic jokes. Um, they're not funny. Homophobic jokes about this shit have never been funny. Rape jokes are not funny. Male rape jokes are not funny. Um, and this really actually gives us a platform to be able to speak on the very real issues of domestic violence and sexual assault in the queer community, and instead we're turning this into a haha Dwight Howard's gay thing. Um, which is the totally wrong way to look at this, because a very... There were two very real people at the center of this, one of whom has been assaulted. And when you turn it into haha 
Dwight Howard's gay, you know, it, 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 you're robbing it of the importance of it. Um, and gay jokes aren't even funny in that, in that context, right? Like in, in the way that these fans, quotation marks, uh, assholes are making the jokes. Even if you remove the context of the assault, those are not the funny gay jokes. Funny gay jokes are usually told by gay people. Um, and then Deadspin put out an article that literally, I saw people's reactions to it before I saw the actual article. And when I saw the article, I read it and I was, I went insane. I like, my brain broke and I feel like, I feel like I lost all sense of, of um, like, <laughs> reality reading it. So the Deadspin article basically, the thesis of the article was that what's terrible about this situation, other than the assault, of course, is that this is such a big moment for men's professional sports that a star of Dwight Howard's caliber is coming out. And now it's being ruined by this. This would have not come out had he not been brought to court. And the the focus of this, again, with the same with the jokes, should not be the fact that he is queer, but that he inflicted physical and emotional pain onto someone. And then when you deflect and, and go, well, you know what? It was consensual. <laughs> Guess I, you know, you know, I'm not straight. Like, that's literally... The Kevin Spacey move. Like, that is literally what Kevin Spacey did. And it was insane when Kevin Spacey did it six years ago. And the fact that someone's still doing this. That this is still a move. Like, oh, well, this is how we get out ahead of it. Guess I gotta come out now. It, it, it's bonkers. And I, I don't know what it is about this situation that is making people um, not... <laughs> like lose their minds and their general sense of um like <sighs> normalcy you know like because if this was a if if Dwight Howard had assaulted a woman and it was just straight domestic assault now obviously the NBA has some problems with um men assaulting women which I have to commend I don't know if you, if people if you guys listening have heard uh saw the video of Adam Silver on one of the, I believe it was like an NBA pregame, the NBA countdown with Charles Barkley and all them. And Charles Barkley held Silver's feet to the fire basically there and was like, what are we going to do about it? And Silver gave the worst response I ever heard because he clearly was not expecting it. Um, and he was, you know, well, you know, like basically like trying to sidestep the whole thing. But the, the, the NBA has a real problem with this. And, and not to say that the other leagues don't have a problem with this, but the NBA has a real problem with this. And they, they need to, something needs to be done about the fact that like Miles Bridges is still playing with the Hornets and like the guy with the, the Rockets, Porter. He got traded to the to the Jazz or the Thunder, whoever. He got traded and then immediately released. Um, like something needs to be done about this. And it it sucks. But again, if this was just something like that, people would at least know how to act. They'd still act stupid, but they would like. It would be, like, normal, like, well, you can't always believe what she said. And instead, this turns into, like, a whole bunch of either, like, jokes or 
well, it's a real shame that this coming out got ruined by this assault. You know, like, that's insane. And that you publish that article and you send these tweets and you don't give it a second thought is crazy. There are pe people, there are real people here, real people being hurt. And we, we're like, we're not even mistaking the forest for the trees here. It's like we're mistaking the forest for, like, the ocean. What are you doing? It's just, it's, it's disappointing to see, um, to see this be the reaction. But it's disappointing but not surprising, I guess would be what I would say. Um, because, again, men's sports legs in regards to this, um... The women's sports doesn't have a ton of <clears throat> people committing domestic violence, but at least because um, the you know in women's sports, like people have heard of the idea of being gay, you know, like they are able to like process this. I guess you know in men's sports they're not used to it, so it it gets weird. Um, but yeah, they definitely. I assume we'll we'll hear more about this Dwight Howard thing as it as it goes on, and as more news breaks, we'll talk about it on here, but. Um, yeah, definitely a disappointing response, to say the least. Uh, let's take a small break, and when we get back, um, I'm gonna do a kind of prolonged movie minutes. All right, and we're back. Um, so, a little bit of lighter news after that downer. Um, a picture came out yesterday, two days ago. Uh, of beloved actor of this movie fan, Paul Mescal, and that is how you pronounce his name, not Mescal, Paul Mescal, um, being seen out in a Mets hat. Um, this is big news for me. Okay, I love Paul Mescal. And um, it, he he joins a roster of great, up like, like now, generation-ish, like the 21st century, male prestige actors in as Met fans, right? Or at least Met hat fans. Um, Paul Meskel. Uh, it's been reported that Jeremy Allen White, obviously they talk about it a lot. Um, he's got that Met hat that he's always out, seen out and it's like demolished. And I'm like, that man is a Met fan. Um, and the OG multi-Met hat owning movie star Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, so I want to recommend, quick recommend each one a movie for one of these two, for, for those two, for Paul and Leo, just because I haven't seen Jeremy Allen White and as much stuff, although he's great in The Bear, so I recommend The Bear. Um, but Paul Mescal was in a movie from last year called After Sun. This movie emotionally destroyed me, um, but he is fantastic and he got nominated for the Oscar for it. Uh, Charlotte Wells directed it. It is a sort of, um, it's sort of her working through, uh, childhood trauma, really, surrounding her father. Um, and it's one of those movies that, like, you start watching, you're like, this is good, and then it, like, hits you like a truck at the end. Like, you don't realize what it's done. It's, like, bur burrowed itself into your heart, and then at the end, it shatters your heart from the inside, and you just lose it. Um, it, it it's such a good movie. Frankie Corio plays um, the younger version of Charlotte Wells, essentially. Um, and she's she's amazing in it. Uh, her and her and Paul Mescal have such great chemistry, like father-daughter chemistry in it. Um, 
it was one of those movies that it ended and I was sobbing, but I was like, I have to do this quietly. <laughs> so I like, cause the theater was like, there were people in there. So it ends. I'm like holding it in, holding it in. I get to the car and I lose it, you know? So that would be my Paul Mescal recommendation. If you're looking to get into the films of, um, in, to understand why people love Paul Mescal. Um, yeah, he's great in After Sun. Um, and then for Leo, I just went yesterday with my father, and we saw Killers of the Flower Moon in IMAX. Uh, three hours and 26 minutes. Um, and there's a lot of uh, movie-length discourse out there. Um, but I hate that I always get directed at the Scorsese movies, because yes, three hours and 26 minutes is a long amount of time. Uh, also, you don't feel a second of it. I, it flew. It flew. It's so well edited. That's Thelma Schoonmacher for you. Um, it, it's this really fascinating look at this true story, which I recommend the book as well. The book's great. Um, but it's this true story. And what I think it does well is it changes the focus. Like the book is more of like a whodunit. Like we got to figure out who killed these people. And the movie is more like just sitting you in the trauma and grief that Molly played by Lily Gladstone goes through. And Leo plays, Leonardo DiCaprio plays um, her husband, Ernest Burkhardt. Uh, as, and, and, you know, there's a series of murders of uh, Osage nation uh, people. Because they have oil money. And <laughs> the white people can't have that. White people cannot have these Osage people having money. Um, and what's really fascinating about it is it's sort of this scorching look at like the way that white people are sort of implicit in this. Even if they're not the one doing the killings, you know, they're allowing it to happen. And I think it comes at a very important moment um, socially right now, seeing everything that's happening. Uh, in the Middle East, and the way that, like, why people are more than willing to sort of just sit there and watch a genocide happen, you know, and it sucks. Um, but, yeah, and at the end, Martin Scorsese doesn't even let himself off the hook, because it basically it ends on this idea that, like, White people will just take this tragedy and because it doesn't really affect them, because they were the perpetrators, they'll just turn it into entertainment. Um, but the, the the last shot, I think, really says something to the idea that um, indigenous people will continue to live and continue to, to, to you know, celebrate and, and have their lives. Even with everything happening, you can't, you can't kill them all. Yeah, I mean you can, but like you know, they 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 have survived and they will continue to survive. So those are my Met fan recommendations. If you're looking to um, see some great Met fans at work, and finally my original movie minute because I was just going to do a normal movie minute, uh, and then Paul Mescal showed up in that Met hat and changed my life. Uh, but my original movie minute, so you're getting three movies this week. Um, is so this is. This episode will come out on November 1st, probably, um, which means it's November. No more horror movies. November, for me, is a very fun month because I celebrate noir November, a uh, month of, of watching noir films, which are, are one of my favorite genres. It, it, it's Noir is one of those things is because it's so expansive, 
there's you can find a, a noir that you love um it's always like a crime drama it's 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 dark it's gritty uh it's cynical it's, you're not gonna get a lot of happy endings um you know it it's about criminals and 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 gangsters and cops but they're usually bad cops or, or private investigators stuff like that you know Maltese Falcon um the big heat guild uh, stuff like that but there's also neon wars you know which are sort of that but now updated versions and and something like Fargo which a lot of people have seen falls into this I want to recommend noirs that I think maybe not everyone has seen because I think something like Fargo while I love that movie and would recommend it to everyone um I think it's it would do more to sort of put people onto something new. I went last year to the movie theaters and saw a South Korean neo-noir called Decision Leave, uh, directed by Park Chan-wook, which um, he's like one of those great directors just generally. He did um, the Vengeance trilogy, which was Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy and Vengeance Trilogy, uh, and um, Lady Vengeance. Uh, he did The Handmaiden. Um, He's done some some English language stuff, but he also did the um I said the handmaiden already, I'm completely losing my mind. But this one is is very interesting. It's a married detective who is investigating a a, a death, um meets the man who, who died whose whose death he's investigating. He meets his wife. Um, and she's a suspect, and he begins to fall in love with her, um, and the detective is married, um, but he's sort of, you know, the, the, the marriage is like, they don't see each other a lot, anything like that, and it's got some of the most gorgeous imagery, and it's one of those movies that keeps you guessing. You know, like, I saw it, and there was a moment where I was like, oh, this is probably the end, and then it's not, just like an extra 30 minutes, but not in a bad way. You know, because I feel like sometimes, you know, that's, like, a bad thing. It's like, you're like, this is the end, and then it keeps going, and you're like, oh, God, that, that should have been the end. It, the moment that I thought was the end turns into this whole new thing, and now there's, there's more, um, in a good way. And it's just, it's so dark, mysterious, sexy, it's, it's amazing, you know, and it got sort of, it's, it was one of those movies the last year that was like getting nominated everywhere, and then the Oscars just ignored it, um, which will happen. Um, but yeah, it's it's so. I don't even want to say too much about it because I don't want to ruin it. But it's one of those movies that's like the feast for the eyes as well as the mind. Um, and it's it's melodramatic. Like, don't get me wrong, which like a lot of noirs are. It's not going to be like a normal like oh well whatever. It's like it's a little melodramatic. So. If you can find Decisional Leave, which I'm looking right now, it looks like it's on Prime for premium subscription. So I don't know. I know Mubi um, had it. So if you subscribe to Mubi, um, they're good. They're a good place to get like weird little indies like that. Um, that's I would totally recommend you check out Decisional Leave. I think it's on DVD and Blu-ray as well. So if you like go to your local library, I'm sure they have it, or one in your system will have it. After Sun, um, if you have Showtime or Paramount Plus with Showtime, it should be on there. Uh, it's an A24 film. Again, it's on... I own it on Blu-ray. I know it's. it should probably be out on DVD as well, which means if you go to your library system, you can find it. Um, 
Yeah, so that's where you get that. And Killers of the Flower Moon is obviously only in theaters right now. But in a, in a little walks, it's an Apple TV um, movie. It should, it should be on Apple TV. So if you want to wait a little bit, that's where you find it. But I recommend seeing Killers of the Flower Moon on the big screen. Um, it's tremendous. All three movies are tremendous. A little bit of a... Did not expect this episode to go as short as it did, but I think that's good. Sort of kept my ramblings to a, to a minimum. So, thank you for listening. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter or X, uh, whatever you call it, we are at FIBpod. We are on Instagram at FlushingIsBurningPod. And we are on... Um, you, you can email us at FlushingIsBurning at gmail.com. Uh, I also recommend you check out uh, Home Run Applesauce, the channel. Uh, if you if you like this and you subscribe for us, it, the other stuff is popping up in your feed anyway. Um, so, Ponder Their Own, From Complex to Queens, uh, Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series, just anything on the channel, fantastic. And if you enjoy the channel and you enjoy all the podcasts, I recommend you subscribe to Patreon. I believe it's $5 a month. You get exclusive episodes, access to the Discord server, um, a couple other fun stuff that we do. Uh, Yeah, so thank you for listening. Uh, Next time we chat, there'll be a World Series winner, which is fun. Um, So who knows how that's going to turn out? Uh, Yeah. Let's hope we actually have some good news to talk about next week. Maybe some Mets news. They're supposed to be interviewing Council, so maybe we'll get something like that. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, I'll see you next week.